0: You're listening to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the Odyssey Robots Radio Network. Hello folks, what is up? It's me, it's me, it's Gino V, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega coming to you with episode 46 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots radio network. And I am recording episode 46 here on a Tuesday, a late morning, early afternoon, um, kind of a mellow 70-ish degree day here in Napa, California, coming after a monster 100-plus degree heat wave last week. Uh, so things are kind of recalibrating, uh, get evening out on the weather front here. Um, as I'm sure I've talked about before on the show, I much prefer cool weather or even cold weather to warm or hot weather because, um, one can, uh, make adjustments to warm themselves up from, uh, cool or even cold weather. Uh, but it's very hard to mitigate hot weather or harder to mitigate hot weather. I would say that's just my personal opinion. What do I know? Um, but uh, it seems to be getting hotter and hotter in these parts, so I guess I'm just going to have to learn to deal. In any case, we are going to kick things off right away here with a little food talk. We are, in fact, a food podcast, um, but I feel we've been a bit remiss in the food category of late. So I'm going to start things off talking about food. Uh, a couple couple different food stories here. I feel like I've been in a bit of a rut Food wise, lately, um, I'm not even really sure why. I, I'm just I'm trying to rack my brain, and I don't even it, up until this story I'm going to tell from yesterday. I can't even really remember what I've been eating lately. Um, I think just a lot of standard survival meals at home because we've been busy, so we just kind of make the same things over and over again over the course of the week. Um, I think about the most adventurous we've been with getting food out lately too is just getting like Panda Express. Uh, take out because it's kind of easy, quick, relatively inexpensive. Um, and for those of you who are trying to build this city on getting swole, you can kind of adjust it so you're not doing some monster caloric intake. Uh, if that's your persuasion to not do so. Though you can go monster, um, should you choose to do so. I, I'm kind of a newer um, adherent of uh, Panda Express. I will admit um, in years past, being someone of... Uh, um, Chinese-American background. Uh, I always sort of turned my nose up at Panda Express. I thought it would be just like some really horrific iteration of um, a, uh, as my grandma would have called them, Caucasian uh, understanding of what Chinese food, like a, a a parody of a parody of a Caucasian parody of Chinese food. But uh, on a trip once pre-pandemic, I think one of the last trips we took pre-pandemic, I think we were at Disneyland, um, we picked up some Panda Express, and I was actually um, very taken aback with how uh, good it actually was. It's certainly not Chinese food, but that's not the point. You know, it's fast food. It's a certain flavor of fast food. Just like, you know, I don't know, uh, is, is McDonald's really like uh, uh, New American cuisine or anything? No, it's like a parody of a parody. But that's what fast food is, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I guess before I get into the details of today's food stories, that this last point that I just brought up, that there's nothing wrong with that. Is the jumping off point because I find myself in a very strange space, a, a no man's land, a no person's land, uh, as it were, when it comes to food. Because I appreciate a wide spectrum of food as I'm sure we've we've spoken about on previous episodes of the show. But just to reiterate, <clears throat> excuse me, I can live and die with everything from the aforementioned McDonald's all the way up to the most elevated of fancy pants, hot cuisine, as it were. Um, I will eat any and all of it, anywhere in between, and I can find things to appreciate at any point in this spectrum. I find that that's not often the case. I find that folks either like to uh, dwell in the lower end of the food spectrum. By lower, I'm not meaning to put um, a uh, value judgment on it, but it's just, you know, culturally a fact of the matter. Like, generally, when we're thinking of, of, of like, lower foods, you're thinking of, like, you know, fast food... uh, Uh, junk foods, stuff like that. And we think of higher foods. You go up higher and higher to like the fanciest, to like the place where the governor of California got busted for eating during COVID, the absurd French laundry. Those are kind of the two poles, I I guess. Garbage foods and just absurdly high-end foods. Um, And I find that people I know either dwell more towards the quote-unquote lower end and um, are suspicious of fancier foods or – they dwell in the higher end and are stuck up about the idea of garbage foods. But for me, again, I find that all these foods have their place at specific points in time, and I have things that I appreciate, again, at all ends of the spectrum. So I can find great joy in eating a 10-piece meal of uh, chicken nuggets from McDonald's. And I'm sure, even though I... this is just too. I, it, French laundry, that Gavin Newsom restaurant, that's beyond what I'm interested in because that's just so absurd. But I, if I went there, I would thoroughly enjoy eating the food there. Um, the, 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 that's the point. I can dwell on any point in the spectrum. And I really don't understand why it seems like for many people that spectrum has to be incredibly limited. You have to inhabit this one small space and you can't accept anything else. There's There's something to enjoy and appreciate in all these different foods, even if it's only like. The, the, the memories that they evoke, you know? It's like, I mean, I'll say it, you know, McDonald's chicken nuggets aren't like the greatest tasting thing uh, I've ever eaten, but there's just a, a feeling it brings to me, a comfort um, based on memories, based on experiences. And uh, anyway, uh, so i been in kind of a rut with food, and then all of a sudden yesterday, bam, it was a tale of two sides of the spectrum. I had two food experiences that I would like to share with you. The first one is on the lower processed frozen food end of the spectrum. And this came by way of an online grocery order. So for all the hardships that came out of the last year, all the bad things that came out of the pandemic, one can only hope that the positives are that so much of uh, what was moved into the online space that can happen in the online space without negative repercussions will remain in the online space. And, um, One of those things is the um, just tremendous growth in flexibility and ability to order things online rather than have to go in person somewhere to buy them. And uh, groceries are one of these things. Now, of course, there's always pros and cons to this, What you gain in ordering your groceries online. Perhaps you lose something from, from no longer getting them in person. You lose, maybe, maybe you're someone who the social aspect of being in the store is important to you, or you uh, want to interact with clerks, you know, at a store you've been going to for a long time. So I understand it, it's mileage may vary, but the, the fact that there's just different options available now, I think is a net positive. Now, in our household, um, as I've talked about before, my wife, Ms. S., is the primary uh, grocery p- procurer. The way our family is uh, built, is situated, we just tend to... Whoever, whatever roles a person in the family does best or appeal to the most, they kind of take that on. So it's not like one person does uh, all of one type of thing and one person does the other. It's a mix or match, whatever... Accentuate our strengths and uh, hide the negatives. That's like the Paul Heyman ECW cliche, right? So anyway, Ms. S likes to go to the store. She likes to buy groceries. She's do- She also does a lot of the cooking in our house, so it makes sense that she's the one buying the stuff that she's ultimately... Going to use, um, and so she still does primarily uh, grocery shop in person, but every now and again on a Sunday when we need stuff for the following week and we're both burnt and no one wants to go out, she'll now place the online order. So that's great. That's convenient. Of course, there's downsides to online ordering as well, which is you don't ultimately control what is being purchased off the shelf. You can tell the purchaser what you want, but there's always that space for human error that... um There's probably space for human error when you're buying things yourself, but not in quite the same way. Like, if you know you want product A, you're going to look for and buy product A. You're not going to somehow end up buying product C, which is what happens sometimes with these online orders. So in this last online order, Ms. S had been trying to order shrimp, like, you know, raw shrimp that you would use to cook with. And I I don't remember the quantity, but some quantity of raw shrimp from a seafood counter. And... When the grocery order appeared at our house, uh, the person had, instead of buying raw shrimp from a seafood counter, had bought this small box frozen dinner thing of something called Boom Boom Shrimp. Now, I was not familiar with Boom Boom Shrimp, but it uh, appears to be that it's maybe one of these sort of um, Americanized Asian dishes, you know, like uh, uh, Kung Pao chicken and... uh, what else do they general so's chicken and all that stuff um because it was some frozen asian foods thing i personally am not familiar with with this uh moniker of boom boom shrimp it appears to be a thing like you're supposed to know what it is so they got us this little box of boom boom shrimp these frozen breaded shrimps with some frozen sriracha aioli sauce so ms s was kind of confounded how you went from a pound or whatever however what much of raw actual real shrimp to this frozen dinner but that's what we got um fortunately they only charged us for the frozen dinner so whatever we just didn't end up with the shrimp Uh, but yesterday i cooked up this boom boom shrimp for lunch and it was amazing i mean again total trash food just frozen food but there was just something so satisfying of this kind of like pill for lunch but that was like felt sort of decadent, and um, uh, like I was getting away with something. I was eating like basically fried, sort of breaded, I don't know what was on it, but you know, some kind of fried shrimp snack. Split it with uh, our youngest daughter, Ms. Tu, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Enjoyed it probably much more than I should have, because I think it was just that this weird frozen meal that, that didn't belong in my life, that had no place being in my life, was somehow in my life, and I ate it, and it was good. So props to the frozen boom, boom shrimp. And thanks to the poor soul out there uh, hustling grocery orders for making that bizarre leap of um, uh, selection. But whatever. Um, From the the lower point on the spectrum, we move to the higher. Now, I, Mr. Sensational, have a brother, the sensational brother, um, who is five years younger than me. And he and his wife have two small children the sensational niece and nephew. My niece is five going on six and my nephew just turned one. Um, Now the sensational brother, both him and his wife work beyond full time. And so they have a person that comes in and helps take care of my uh, one-year-old nephew during the day while they're at work. Uh, the, The situation right now is, you know, they're working at home and this person comes in and takes care of the boy while they are working, and they're all in the same house together. But uh, the woman that takes care of the boy during the day for them was going away for the summer. And my brother and his wife are actually also going away for about a month because my uh, brother's wife is actually from the country uh, Ukraine. And so they're going there for four weeks to uh, visit her family. Um, But the way it worked, there was this overlap of about of about a week when uh, they needed someone to watch The Sensational Nephew. And so they asked if my oldest daughter, Miss One, who's now 16, would be willing to come down there to Berkeley, California, where they live, to watch The Sensational Nephew for a few days. And so Miss One is down there in Berkeley, California, watching The Sensational Nephew. The first time she's ever done anything like this. But that means she's out of the house this week. And that's also very rare. Our kids, I don't think she's ever gone... Away from home for this many days in a row. So it's just three of us it's me, my wife, Ms. S., and our youngest, Miss Two. And uh, part of what that, the dynamic that changes there is Miss um, One is still a fairly timid eater, while Miss Two will eat just about anything except for a few food items that she will decide to be contrarian about. Uh, But anyway, with Miss One out of the house, it just completely unleashes the possibility of things that the three of us can uh, get to eat without having to worry about what Miss One might eat. So Ms. S., my wife, had seen um, something on a a local food forum online that there is this new uh, pop-up food venture here in Napa. Um, It's there's this whole phenomenon nowadays of, of places that just because overhead is so expensive and rent is so expensive, then there was the whole pandemic time period. But even before that, this was starting to become a thing where rather than places or individuals opening up a full-fledged brick and mortar restaurant, they would rent out space in a commercial kitchen and basically have kind of these pop-up uh, restaurants that don't exactly exist in a fixed place, but they, they create the food at these commercial kitchens and you order it and go pick it up there or get it delivered to you, whatever. so, Ms a- or yeah, Ms. S. had seen a uh announcement about this uh pop-up food venture known as Rice Rice Baby. And I don't know the specifics of Rice Rice Baby uh because I didn't see the same uh blurb she did, she just knew about it. Rice Rice Baby is a venture um put on by some group of Asian-American ladies here in Napa, California, and I'm not sure which background specifically they're in. The only reason I bring this up is because the food that they offer is somewhat pan-Asian. It it crosses over through several different genres. Um, So I'm not sure who's responsible for what or whatever. But in in any case, Rice, Rice, Baby, we ordered some food from them um, because we knew we would be able to dive into it and not have to worry about if uh, Miss One was into it or not. And so we ordered a couple of orders of this dish that was... This uh, first one was a Korean dish. It was um kimchi spam fried rice. And what this was was um like a Korean fried rice bed with multiple pieces of this sort of like panko tempura breaded fried spam. An egg over it, and Korean kimchi. And I know I was just talking about fried breaded food, about the boom-boom shrimp, but that's of the frozen variety. This was like painstakingly handcrafted, like high quality, just amazing, amazing stuff. Um, one of the best things I've, I've eaten in as long as I can remember, um, I ate about three-fourths of the serving that I had and set aside a final fourth that I'm going to eat once I get done recording this episode today. So that was amazing. That was phenomenal. There's just, there's something... I don't know. We're going to talk about this a minute when I finish talking about what else we had. But there's something about spam in the world of Asian food. And we're actually going to look it up really quick and figure out what's going on with spam. But um, in addition to spam, we also got an order of uh, these Filipino wings. They were known as TNT wings. And I've mentioned on the show before, of all the various Asian genres of food and their kind of American iterations, Filipino-American food is one that I am least familiar with. I've had it. I really enjoy it. I just... I. It, I haven't had as much exposure to it over the course of my life. I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to get to it more, get around to it more. Uh, But these wings were phenomenal. Um, And I don't even really know how to describe them because I was like already kind of in a food coma from the the Spam fried rice. And I ate like one wing and I couldn't eat anymore. And I got some more waiting for me. Again, for after uh, uh, we finished this. But they were like kind of, I can't remember if they were fried per se, but just really good, decadent, umami tasting asian chicken wings you can't go wrong with that so it was nice to kind of be re-inspired about food it had been a while but rice rice baby was a was a great experience uh i have no idea what kind of uh what kind of prices they're charging for this greatness because i did not myself do the order but um that's for that's for folks in the family above my pay grade to to figure out and decide if it's worth it or not but anyway thoroughly enjoyed it but really quick we're going to close this out just just uh Looking into this issue of spam, and again, this goes back to this whole spectrum of foods, because as someone with um, some Asian American heritage background, I grew up um, with the idea of spam being very normalized. You often encounter spam in various Pan-Asian or Pacific Islander um, cuisines. You find it in Hawaiian food, you'll find it in Japanese food, you'll find it in Korean food. I don't know that you'll find it in traditional Chinese food, but I do know that my mother's Chinese family, which who were kind of inspired, they were themselves were sort of pan-Asian when it came to food. Spam was definitely in their vernacular. Um you find it in these foods. Um, and I'm sure some of it has to do with exposure during wartime, etc. Um, but then on the Anglo side of things, spam is always is, is kind of thought of as a sort of gross, trashy thing. And I've even seen cooking shows before where Anglo chefs are just like horrified by the idea that anyone would use spam. Um, you know, and in like a challenge thing, like, oh, you have to use spam as a secret ingredient. Well, that's not possible. It's not real food. And I'm sure spam's ill. Like it's this gross process thing. But I can tell you from personal experience that there, there's many ways to incorporate spam into elevated cuisine elevated dishes um so let's just see here really quick look up spam because i've never bothered to to really explore what it is maybe i'm gonna regret this but spam food okay here on good old wikipedia as we all know okay so it's a it's a product coming out of minnesota from the hormel foods corporation uh came to us from 1937 it is allegedly a pork product um so it's Spam's basic ingredients are pork with ham added, salt water, modified potato starch as a binder, sugar, and sodium nitrite as a preservative, um, blah, blah, blah. There's all kinds of other weird stuff in it. So what I want to look at is international usage. So we go to United States and territories. Yeah, okay. And as it says here, um, in kind of mainstream United States, uh, Spam is often a, uh, is used, it's associated with economic hardship because of its relatively low cost. Um, Then you get over to Hawaii. Spam is especially popular in the state of Hawaii where residents have the highest per capita consumption in the United States. Uh, Its perception there is very different from on the mainland. Um, And so here we get to um, a popular local dish in Hawaii. And this this is one of the primary ways that I first became really comfortable with and familiar with spam. Um a popular local dish is spam masubi where cooked spam is placed atop rice wrapped in a band of nori uh which is seaweed um and I don't know if you if you yourself has ever have ever had spam masubi but it kind of mimics like almost like a uh onigiri sushi uh roll you know it, it's like you a sushi kind of rice with seaweed wrapped around it and then spam on top of that um very delicious very good but um so that that kind of makes sense where with, with the hawaiian scene but what i'm curious about like how it carries over to asia and so yes yeah, see here we go um uh... Oh, okay. In Hong Kong, after World War II, meat was scarce and expensive, so spam was accessible, affordable alternative. The luncheon meat has been incorporated into dishes such as macaroni with fried egg and spam and chicken soup, as well as ramen. And see, my mom's side of the family, um, part of them, uh, part of that family, comes from Hong Kong. So again, it makes sense that they would have been, associ- uh, uh, what's the word, unassociated, exposed to spam in that way. In Japan, the product is added into onigiri alongside eggs and used as a staple ingredient. And the traditional Okinawan dish, chanpuru. Um, there's a local fast food chain in Japan that sells a spam burger et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then in South Korea, it was widely consumed during the Korean War. Um, its popularity led to the creation of the Spam Kimbap, rice and vegetable filled seaweed roll in Korean cuisine, blah, blah, blah. So basically the point is during various war times, the Hormel Corporation was able to Infiltrate these uh, regions and introduce spam as an affordable alternative to kind of fancier non-processed meats and these people over time uh, figured out a way to elevate that gross processed food into something delicious and that my friends is a story of the two spectrums of food coming together in the middle in the greatest way the greatest way possible really a allegory of life Um, that works in any arena, and that sadly I feel like our world is getting further and further from, that uh, while spectrums often have very extreme poles, the best of life is usually found in the center. Folks, we'll be right back. We're going to talk about the sweet science. We are going to talk about boxing. Here on episode 46 of the Mr. Sensational Gina Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. folks, this past weekend, it was Saturday, and what did I do Saturday? Oh, the Sensational Nephew had his first birthday party on Saturday down in Berkeley, California. Uh, So went down there, had some pizza and cake, and then came home, and it was a pleasant family gathering, but you know, like, whenever you go out for the day, and drive like an hour or so somewhere, and you kind of hang out at a at a social gathering and you come back, you're just kind of burnt, like kind of spent. Um, takes a lot of energy to socialize, at least for me. Um, so I was just kind of zoned out and I was watching TV. And I think I was, I yeah, I was watching, I believe I was watching UFC, but it was like such a boring card that I don't even remember what it was. Was it Korean Zombie versus Dan Ige? It might've been, I don't know. In any case, I was using the ESPN Plus gimmick um, to watch UFC, which for those of you who have not used the ESPN Plus platform, uh, I love it. I mean, it, it all depends on if if they show something that you're interested in watching on there. But I watch UFC, I watch PFL, um, and I occasionally watch boxing, which we're going to talk about here now on the show. Um, and for watching all those that air on ESPN plus, it's just a great convenient app. I love it. A lot of people hate it cause you have to pay for like a subscription, but I, I don't know. I paid like a $45 yearly subscription or whatever long since forgotten about until the next year that it comes up. doesn't matter to me. I don't really spend money on anything else other than streaming. So I'm down to just throw, throw my dollars at the TV screen as it were. Um, but in any case, uh, part of what's cool about ESPN plus is you'll be watching something like UFC and they'll often, pr- uh, program things and stagger things that like UFC ends, then boxing starts. So if you want, you can just jump over to this other thing and check it out. Um, And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about boxing, um, which I've talked about here and there on the show before, but we're going to talk about again because I was revisiting it once again. And boxing is something, one of those weird things that has played a large part in my life Played a large part in my imaginal landscape, my aesthetic worldview, without me ever even really realizing it or even really knowing much about boxing or following it particularly closely. But what it comes down to is, uh, ever since I was young, um, as has been chronicled on the show in previous episodes, I have always been taken with the imagery, the mythology, the legends of combat sports. The idea of two individual entities meeting in a ring in a cage uh, on the field of battle, each with a, with, with a story behind them, each with a reason for being there. These two sides clash and we stand back and watch to see what emerges from the ashes. It's funny, it suddenly occurs to me one of the earliest uh, stories that I ever heard that got me fascinated with the format of combat sports was the biblical tale of David and Goliath. Um, there was a time period when Mr. Sensational was quite young. Um, I, he would have been, you know, like four or five. And uh, his grandparents on his father's side were trying to trick him. First tried to, like, cajole him. Then, then practically tried to trick him into attending church services with them um which kind of funny because it's like not, they weren't like wildly religious but they did go to church they were just kind of like boring midwestern protestants um but for some reason they were trying to get me to go to church with them and for some reason my parents were just kind of letting them have at it which is weird because like a lot of times my parents would get in fights with them about stuff like this but for, in, in any case i get they wanted to church up mr sensational and mr sensational could tell he could tell when he was being led somewhere against his will. He could tell when he was being cajoled. He could tell when he was being conned and he wanted nothing of it. It wasn't that he even knew, cared what religion was, knew anything about it. He just knew people were trying to get him to do something that he didn't want to do. And he took umbrage with that. Now, keep in mind, he was four. I still see people to this day <laughs> are up in arms about things like they don't want to get a COVID vaccine because no one could tell them what to do. Uh, perfectly reasonable logic when you're four. Maybe a little bit different when you're 44. But hey, who knows? Your mileage may vary. In any case, I was dead set against this idea of going to church. But um, my parents, I think my parents just felt bad. They want to throw my grandparents a bone. And they're like, well, you you might like it. It's just kind of like a lot of stories, kind of like, you know, knights and, and Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. And I was like, really? Like, look at this story, David and Goliath. And like, they have this little kid's storybook of David and Goliath uh, that my grandparents had given them to give to me. And it was essentially... Combat sports, it was, you had David, the undersized fighter, you had Goliath, the the indomitable giant, they, uh, there was back, you got backstory on both of them, you had reason to uh, side with either one, reason to be emotionally invested in the outcome, they met on the field of battle, and we sat back and we saw what happened, and this is like storytelling at kind of its most primal, the the idea of a a conflict, protagonist, antagonist, conflict, conflict resolution. And you see it in just such a succinct, poetic way in the world of combat sports. And I went on in my life to, as we all know, be enamored with pro wrestling. And as I get older and as I feel more and more alienated with pro wrestling, uh, I realized that that what I liked about it was more of of a, I liked about something that I culled out of it in theory that doesn't really exist there. Pro wrestling ultimately really is just kind of a clown show. It's just, it's, it's got guy, big guys dancing doing catchphrases and uh, trying to build on how wacky and ironic it can be that that something that that's scripted is, is being portrayed as real, et cetera, et cetera. But what I was always taken with was the protagonist, antagonist, emotional investment in a conflict, conflict resolution on to the next one. See what happens next. Who's the next opponent to rise up? Who's the next threat on the horizon for the champ? That's all that appeals to me, what appealed to me in my mind about pro wrestling. Kind of like how I loved Star Wars figures, but the actual movies themselves are kind of a letdown because they're never as exciting as what I envisioned in my mind with with the action figures. But um, so really as a child, what I really probably would have liked more was legitimate combat sports. But at that time, you know, MMA didn't exist like it does now. So I guess the closest thing to that was boxing. And I kind of knew of boxing, um, whispers, hints here and there. I I heard of these guys, Muhammad Ali. I heard of Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, I heard of Marvin Hagler. Uh, I heard of Leon Spinks. I heard all these names. I'd see like commercials for upcoming pay-per-views. And I just loved seeing the marketing of these guys. And again, being given the narrative, g- g- being given a story of why, why I should care, why I should be interested, why I should want to know what uh, was going to happen. But I didn't have access to really being able to watch it on my own i would just see commercials and previews and and hype uh videos and stuff like that here or there on cable tv or network tv i don't know what it would have been on but in any case my my dad didn't watch boxing um so i had no direct pipeline to it i only had boxing as an idea boxing is a theory and then over the years i would see boxing depicted in fictional form like the rocky movies which you know what I need to sit down and watch those because I have never actually watched all the Rocky movies in their entirety. I've seen like scenes from three, scenes from four, probably scenes from one and two, and that's about it. And at the same time, the idea of Rocky has always played a big part in my imagination. So again, that's weird. That's... uh, one, I definitely need to revisit. But I remember as a kid when I would see from a distance the Rocky movies coming down the pike and I'd see action figures from them. Again, it was this idea there's this guy Rocky and he's fighting all these different foes. And it's not just one foe because like, doesn't he have to like, in, in one of the movies he fights Hulk Hogan first before he gets to Mr. T. This was just fascinating to me. This this whole idea of a, of a, of a um, surging uh, fighter facing kind of a rogues gallery of challenges on the way to the top. Um And I felt like that was depicted in Rocky. Um, but where I really, for the first time, just found, found my calling, found what I'd always been looking for in my, my kind of vision of combat sports, what it meant to me, even though it's not what it actually necessarily really was, was this was all embodied in the NES video game, Mike Tyson's punch out. And I need to do an NES episode or a video game episode in general, but the NES changed my life, and of the many life-changing moments that happened with the NES, Mike Tyson's punch-out was high at the list. Because I remember the first time I played that game, I just, my, my, my face was melting. It's like, you mean to tell me you control this underpowered protagonist who's just punching, ducking, dodging, weaving his way, training his way, doing his best... Run, running early morning chasing after doc or coach or whatever that guy's name was on the bike please uh detail uh, uh police don't come after me but uh going against all these larger than life cartoonish scoundrels that're between him and his bout against Tyson and that there's like the legendary like uh, uh, rumored uh, keys to beating each of these guys that you can find out there in the ether if you have the right issue of Nintendo power if you have that Nintendo player's guy that was out there. I'll have to look that up. I can't remember where that came from. I remember everyone had it, though. In any case, that was boxing to me. And I always felt that I would love to actually watch boxing. But over the years, I found real-life boxing to be impenetrable. Because every time I would try to watch it, I... I There's like 10 billion different champions. There's 30 million different organizations. It's on 10,000 channels. I had no idea what to watch. Whenever I did watch it, all I would seem to be seeing is what they call in wrestling squash matches, which is just like, uh, just a a name guy, just completely running over some no-name jabron. That's, I mean, and I get that like on a weekly wrestling show leading up to a pay-per-view, but with boxing, I was not ever clear where, there was go- where this was going. And a few times I would watch kind of like bigger name fights, I would feel like they were still squash matches. And so I would try boxing, I'd fall away, years would pass. I'd try it again, I'd fall away, years would pass. And now with this whole ESPN Plus thing, with boxing right there readily available to me, I thought I would try it again. And I've been trying, I really have. I've been trying. And every time I watch it, for the most part, it's so boring and it's still impenetrable. It's, it's just these endless mismatches. And then this whole business of like, if you lose one or two matches, your career's over. Uh, it, it's like, it would be like, uh, if, a uh, championship football team lost a game and then they're, they're, they're never banished forever. They're never playing again. And this makes no sense. I, and, and this is where, where I did finally, um, as a young person, find my home in combat sports and find, the genre that is certainly not perfect, but speaks the most to me for what I'm looking for for this um, protagonist, antagonist, conflict, conflict resolution is the world of MMA, mixed martial arts. Uh, again, not perfect, but I feel to me it's the, it's the best of all worlds because at its best, you have guys with, with a good backstory, good reason to be emotionally invested. It's a real sport, so there's some drama about who's going to win or lose, but UFC, Bellator, PFL, all the major MMA organizations, part of the culture is matching up best guy against best guy. It's not protecting a guy to go undefeated for his entire career. Some of that happens at the lower levels, but when you get to the big show, the whole reason people are there is to watch big time matches against competitive people. Boxing does not have that competitive architecture from what I can tell. I, I know Teen Wundle, who's a huge boxing fan. He also tweets about boxing under the name at Helena. You know, it's kind of like um, uh, that David Lynch's daughter's movie, Boxing Helena, but boxing, like punching Boxing Helena. I think the end, I don't know. Look him up at Boxing Helena. Worth a follow if you're into, into an unending boxing uh, chatter. This guy, this guy's enthusiasm for an unwatchable sport is is something to truly be. Admire. But again, there's this lack of competitive architecture. And Teen Wendell tells me like once every five years, there's big name guy versus a big name guy. And that's when it's good to watch. But that's like a lot of time to pass to wait for something to happen. But in any case, I tried again this weekend. And I watched this guy that I, I, I'm really a big fan of at this point. Um, this fellow out of Japan by the name of Naoya Inoue. He's a bantamweight, bantamweight champion for whatever championship that is that he has. Um, God only knows. But I've seen him fight twice now, and just an, he's this little, compact, tiny little guy, but just has this tremendous, he's just overpowered for his size, and just like, he knocked a guy out with a body shot in this fight on Saturday, and he's the kind of guy that if he was actually in there against real guys, real opponents, uh, I'd be watching, all, I'd pay money to watch that. I mean, I guess I did pay money to watch this, but it's just part of my ESPN Plus subscription. I mean, I would would order a pay-per-view to see this guy fight if it was UFC style, if it was real, if it was against someone that he could lose to. And I'd be happy to see him take a few losses. He doesn't have to be undefeated. You know, I I just, let's see how this great, charismatic, fun-to-watch guy matches up against a real challenge, not just how he knocks over can after can after can after can. I just don't get it but I hope to someday. I will still keep watching boxing. I do love the the image of boxing, the story of it, the, the, the guys moving their way up from just a ratty gym in a tough neighborhood up to the biggest stage in front of the whole world. I remember, um, when I used to live in Oakland, California, there was a guy, Andre Ward. Uh, am I getting that name right? Teen Wendell? Andre Ward fell out of Oakland, California. And I think what it was is he had made it to the Olympics and, uh, I was writing BART and there was an elderly guy on BART and he was talking to someone about uh, this fellow Andre Ward making it to the Olympics and this guy was so ecstatic and he was like, the whole world's finally hearing about us and this time it's for something good. He's talking about the city of Oakland and it's like, yeah, that's boxing. That's the spirit of boxing. Um, I just wish there was a a real, actual event to watch um, that lived up to that spirit. Um, I will, in closing, I will say circling back to boxing video games, and I guess this is just uh, funny because it's like so typical of boxing in general. Um, the last boxing video game to come out, major video game release that I know of, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Teen Wundle, but um, was EA Sports. Uh, it was called like Fight Night Champion or something like that. The Fight Night series of games. The last one that came out had this career mode that was actually a story. You, you played a created character. You didn't create your own character. You played... This created character named Andre Bishop, who had this whole backstory. He'd been in prison, came out, he's fighting for the championship, he's getting double crossed by crooked promoters. And it was so much more engrossing and so much better than all those faceless, nameless, boring boxing drone video games where the career mode is you just make up a generic guy and there's no story. And um, it just story. Story is what combat sports is all about. Story is what sports is all about. Story is what life is all about. We need stories. We need characters. We need conflicts. We need conflict resolutions. Just like here on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, you have the antagonist, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, endlessly hounding the poor protagonist, Teen Wundle, in their yin and yang quest um, of troll versus trolley. And with that, I'm going to sign off. I'm going to leave you here on episode 46. We will be back next week. We will be talking some Donald Duck Orange juice, some Flintstones vitamins, and whatever else comes down the pike between now and then. But until then, for episode 46 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, on the IC Robots Radio Network, it's me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, So. i Mike Tyson have been the wildest, I've been the craziest, I've been the outrageous <laughs> The vicious, the most destructive fighter I've ever I'm Mike lived. Tyson An international star, I got a Grammy, a Gold Globes, and guess what? I'm Mike Tyson I'm Mike Tyson I'm Mike Tyson